Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Today's a good day. And I say that because today we're talking about fellowship. And then I get to go and have fellowship after and eat the holiest of foods, pizza. So it is a good day. But um, lately we've been, our phrase in over the past year and a bit has been doing life together. And for all of us that might mean something different, that might uh, be lived out in a different way, but there's this key component of the gospel that the believers, the followers of the way, I like saying followers of the way, it just sounds cool, the way, right? But there's this component that they did life together. And so the title of my sermon this morning is called In Step Together. And so I have a question. Growing up, have you ever had someone, did you ever have a parent, maybe a grandparent, or just someone, ask you after church to go wash the fellowship off your hands? And like, as soon as you got home, go wash the fellowship off your hands right now. And like, if you think about it, it probably left you with this like sour, negative taste of the word fellowship. Like, ew, I gotta get the fellowship off my hands. And when you, th- when really, fellowship's not the problem. And if anything, over these past couple of years, we've really learned what it means to wash the fellowship off our hands. Can I give you the church family interpretation of of washing the fellowship off your hands this morning? It's it's like this. Go wash the possible germs, germs, glitter, flu, glue, COVID, marker, cold, or any mess the kids' youth pastor got you involved in off your hands before you think about touching the food we're about to eat. You laugh, but it's true. You see, fellowship's not the problem. It's the risks we associate with it. There's a risk to being in fellowship. So as a church, as a family in Christ, how does fellowship benefit us? How does it allow us to live in step together? To be in step with one another. No matter the circumstances, no matter the things taking place in our world, how do we live in step together? On a quick note before I forget, if you forgot, if you didn't get a chance to grab communion at the back, I encourage you to do so. I'm going to have communion kind of in my message. And so knowing me, I will forget to remind everyone else. So this is me reminding you so I don't forget. All right? This is me reminding myself. All right, so this morning I'm going for from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple and continued to break bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Starting with the first two verses. They devoted themselves. They made a commitment amongst themselves. They, being the body of Christ at large, made a commitment as individuals and to one another that they would be committed to the teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. See, for all the foodies in the room, food is part of the gospel. Amen. All right? The teaching was the core of the gospel. That Christ had come, he gave witness of the Father, that he had been crucified on the cross, and that he was resurrected and ascended. That he showed himself to be separated from darkness. That darkness didn't snuff out the light, that the light overcame the darkness. And the teaching was not only just to be something we knew, but it was to be something we practiced. That as we are to have communion or fellowship with God, that's the vertical aspect, that we should also be reflect, that should also be reflected horizontally to others. That as we have communion and relationship with God, we are to have communion and fellowship with others. We are to be in step together. We are to do life together. So how should our relationship with God, how should the vertical aspect look and feel? I love what Archbishop Desmond Tutu said when describing communion with God. He said, like when you sit in front of a fire in winter, this is relevant to today, you are there just in front of the fire. You don't have to be smart or anything. The fire warms you. Sometimes we can feel so distant from God. We can feel so distant from community. We feel like we're out in the cold. But each and every time we come back into community, each and every time we come back into the presence of God, it's like that fire. We're reminded of the warmth it provides. We're reminded of the comfort it provides from the cold. We feel the warmth of his presence. And in fellowship, we, we may grow in the warmth of his goodness. This, this quote gives us a picture of how fellowship was understood in the Greek. Back then, the word fellowship comes from the word kononia, which means partnership. Literal participation, social intercourse, or benefaction. Communicate, communion, distribution, fellowship. Participation and social intercourse. The joining together of different people to become one to the Father. That the bride in the fullness of all her parts functions in full devotion to the king. 
Each part has a slightly different function, a slightly different view of focus, yet all are part of the same body. Each part can come together and be nourished. They're all different, but they all have the same purpose. Anyone ever heard of a redwood tree? If you were to go to San Francisco and go in some of the trails in San Francisco or go into their forest, you would surely see a redwood tree. These trees can be grow to be up to 400 feet tall. That's not a tree I would be climbing. That's comparable to a 37-story building. And although this tree is super tall, the roots only go five to six feet deep. But get this. The roots extend out from the trunk of the tree up to 100 feet. To me, this tree represents Christian spiritual formation. That we may be rooted firmly in Christ. We may extend out to others, and we may grow in who the Father is asking us to be. That we may grow in strong, tall stature with the Father. To be fully alive, healthily growing, firmly planted, and extending out. You see, each, each root in the ground takes a different route. Each root in the ground may, might have a slightly different purpose, but they all serve, they might have a slightly different job, but all serve the same purpose. They all contribute to allowing the tree to grow, to allowing the tree to be nourished, to allowing the tree to be stand firmed. If you've done any gardening, and maybe you've taken a tree out of your front lawn, your backyard, maybe even a bush, sometimes those roots aren't easy to separate. Sometimes it takes work. And it can be the worst when it's on a hot day. And you just want the, the plant to come out of the ground. But yet, that should be us. That no one can uproot us from our faith. No one can pull us away from our faith but we're firmly planted. We're firmly nourished. And we give a vibrancy and a beauty to who our God is. When there is social intercourse, there is a binding of heart and soul to one another. We become connected not because of interest, but because of purpose. Think about it. Every Sunday, you come. The people you have the most interaction with, you look for. The people you've built relationship with, you look for, and you notice when they're not there. When um, people you serve with, no matter what area you serve in in the church, the people you serve with, you notice when they're not there. I notice when our kids or our youth aren't out at one of our programs, I notice. I notice when 
one of my kids or youth leaders aren't in church. And it's because there's been a bond. There's a soul connection. That in the fields that God has placed us in to serve, we've bonded and we serve in purpose. That although we, we maybe have different views, maybe we have different giftings, we all serve together for one purpose. To exalt Jesus. To know Jesus. And it doesn't matter where we started. It doesn't matter where we see ourselves right now. It doesn't matter where we see others right now or where we deem each other to be headed. Because at the end of the day, it's Jesus. And that can be so hard to remember right now. Especially in the last two years where there's so much division. Psalm 23.5 You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That when we sit in the presence of people who maybe we don't get along with, maybe have a slightly different outlook, approach, understanding, or action, we can be rest assured that we can still be filled because the Father is still there. The cup is a representation of being held together. And the overflow is a representation of spiritual wealth and satisfaction. The overflow of a community held together is what we see in the very next verse. That everyone was filled in awe of the wonder and the miraculous. When fellowship, communion is at the heart, the miraculous is shown through his will. Do you long to see a touch of the miraculous in the body of Christ? Is there a growing desire to see the overflow of his spirit in this body? Are we being held together and allowing time for it to take place? If you look at, if you look at the gospel... I'm going to say 99% of the time, the miraculous, the healing, the overflow takes place in community. It doesn't happen on, a, on an individual's own self. It doesn't happen on their own time. It happens in community. It happens when we have communion with, e with each other and the Father. See, as one get, gathers at the table to break bread, to be filled, the body together is filled spiritually. When you gather together to eat food, you're filled. 
but there is a spiritual fulfillment that comes through that. For we are are reminded of the joy that is set before us. That no matter what happens when we leave here today, we find joy. No matter what is happening when you came in today, no matter if you're weary or heavy burdened, you find joy. It's not based on your circumstance. It's based on what's ahead. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It wasn't on his circumstances then. It was on what laid ahead, what was beyond the cross. And when we sit in awe of the wonder and the miraculous taking place, something we can't really describe but can only really affirm by saying this one phrase, surely the Lord is in this place. That's easy to say in a worship setting. It's easy to say in a time like this, the Lord is in this place. Can you say that in the morning when you first wake up and you're stressed? The Lord is in this place. Can you say it when at night your thoughts are running anxious? When worry is running deep within you? The Lord is in this place. Can you say that when there's conflict between you and someone else? The Lord is in this place. May we live in the mindset of that. That we're not inviting Jesus. We're not inviting the Lord into here. He's inviting us into his presence. First year, third week of Bible college. A 19-year-old Brett Webster sitting in a dorm room with his Bible college roommate, playing a video game or something, felt a nudge to go to a class prayer time taking place. I had never felt a nudge like this before, and frankly, I didn't know why I felt the nudge. But yet, I felt a nudge to go up to a classroom. And so I walked up to the classroom and I entered. And there was 20 other of my classmates gathered in a room, setting an atmosphere of praise, worship, and prayer. And I remember I just sat there, not knowing what to do, Definitely not knowing what to say. But just in awe of the passion displayed, the prophetic words given, and the healing that took place in a span of six hours. And for a whole six hours, I just sat there. I can't usually sit that long. But for some reason, I sat there in awe and in wonder of the things that God was doing through these people. 
that I had only known for two and a half weeks, but yet saw such evidence of the Lord in their life. I remember being in awe, but at the same time feeling so out of place. And I remember my only prayer was, God, if you want me here, place me somewhere. And just before the night ended, a now close friend of mine came up to me. He sat down beside me. And he said, Brett, I don't know you well, but I feel like the Lord is showing you where he is placing you. He's placing you in his presence. I walked out of that prayer, ti- prayer time not having prayed one word other than what I said. Having just sat there for six hours and unsure of where to go from there. The next night, we'd have another prayer time. And so I went upstairs and something changed in me that night. The faith that I had believed my whole life, the faith that I had grown up in my whole life, the faith I had seen my parents display as they have led churches, became real to me. That night I encountered the living God. I had fellowship and communion with God and I had a filling and baptism of his spirit. The Lord so clearly spoke to me that this is where he wanted me. In his presence, in communion and fellowship with him, but also with one another. Verses 44, 45. And because we are filled by his spirit, because we have fellowship and communion with God and with others, as it says in verse 44 and 45, they had everything in common. Maybe the most misunderstood saying in this whole verse, this whole passage, they had everything in common. Anyone feel uneasy yet? They had everything in common faith, but they still had difference in opinions. That's very countercultural to the times we live in right now. Today, there's a cultural expectation that's pushed through media, politics, work industries, of how we should all hold the same views on everything. Imagine that. If everyone held the same opinion, and jokingly, but seriously, like, imagine I had to like coffee. For those of you who might be new here, when I first got to this church, I started off with an open joke, but serious, I don't like coffee. So imagine, like, I had to like coffee like everyone else. Or better yet, imagine all of you didn't like coffee. Ooh, ooh, ooh. 
okay. That's never going to happen. It's okay. You get your coffee. But imagine. Imagine we all had to have the same opinions on the same topics at the same time. That's not even Christ-like. If we know one thing about the kingdom of heaven, it's a kingdom of diversity. But yet, at the center is a common faith that Christ is coming, that he is coming, and that the Bible is a window of the gospel. The Bible is a window to Christ. Like a child looking out the window waiting for his father to arrive in expectation that the father will take him to a place that, he has, that they have longed to discover. That the father will knock on the door and that if we answer, he doesn't expect us to have everything figured out. He doesn't expect us to have all the answers to what the kingdom is or to who he is. He doesn't have all the answers. He doesn't expect us to have all the answers to what is right and what is wrong. But yet he just expects us to open the door. To open it up to him and for him to for us to allow him to come in. To invite him in to shape us, to deeply form us, and to build us into who he is calling us to be. Zacchaeus was a wee little man with largely varying opinions in comparison to the Jewish believers in his day. Yet his hunger to allow the Lord into his house not only shows a willingness to be deeply formed in Christ, but paints a prophetic picture of his heart. He went from a man up in his own tree, a man up in a tree, maybe up in his own, to being one who comes to back down to earth. I wonder if he was in a redwood tree. Probably not. But he comes back down to ground level to be in community with the Christ. And when he is in community with the Christ, Zacchaeus has a prompting not only to give back what he had taken from people, but to give more that was his own. He gave to those who were in need. A direct comparison to what we see in verse 45. No one lacked in the community. Rather, all gave generously to those in need. This wasn't political communism. This wasn't something that was enforced upon them. It was a righteous service. A spirit-filled church is one that is unified when the bride is functioning as one community in doctrine, fellowship, giving, and worship. Not individually. You can't have your own made doctrine. You can't fellowship with yourself. 
You cannot give unto yourself. You cannot worship yourself. You weren't made to worship yourself. We weren't made to worship ourselves. We weren't made to be worshipped. So how do we know that there's a fellowship commandment here? Well, there's evidence throughout the Bible. Number, example number one. Christ teaches us to pray our Father, not my Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Father, our fellowship, our community to God. Paul uses the phrase, our Lord, 53 times. He uses my Lord once. Grace and peace to you in the God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Not the God my Father, our Father. Another piece of evidence, Jesus is my personal Savior is not a biblical statement. That might be a hard one to swallow. Jesus is my personal Savior is not a biblical statement. And lastly, we are the people and image of God. We belong to each other. We are to be in step with one another. We are to do life together. Verses 46 and 47. Fellowship is not a planned event. It is a daily habit out of necessity for growth. The believers of the way had communion with God each and every day. The breaking of bread was a reminder that Christ had come and paid the price. He had fulfilled the promise, and because of that, they were now being filled. Through communion and fellowship and the filling of the Lord's Spirit, they were unified. But yet, in the midst of this, they praised and grew in number because of God. The church had its enemies but also people were attracted to the, and were hungry for a savior. It doesn't surprise me where revival's taking place in our world. When you see the greatest places of revival, where revival's taking the greatest, where revival's having the greatest outbreak, there's also the greatest opposition. And if you read things about what is happening in the churches overseas, you can't help but be encouraged. You can't help but be inspired. 
reading testimonies of, of believers and pastors, that in the midst of opposition because of their faith, are saying, I will stay because as Christ said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. The gates of hell shall not prevail. And they say this with their lives on the line. They live it. That they won't be moved. The rock won't be moved. His word is strong. They say, I, they say, I am unashamed of the gospel for it is the power of Christ and the salvation of everyone who believes. May I have a heart. May we have a heart that is inspired because of that. That in the midst of our enemies, our cup overflows. I think about the night. There's a night where the disciples and Jesus entered a room. And what was probably a normal night for the disciples, what was a daily thing for them, what was just another meal, turned to be such much more. Because as they sat at the table, None of them knew, but as Jesus sat there, he knew that he, had, he sat at a table in the midst of an enemy, that someone who deemed him an enemy, but yet he knew the cup would overflow. And so as he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, Take it in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. I almost drank too quickly. And then he took the wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. That when we drink of the juice, we're reminded of the blood that has sanctified us, that cleanses us from our sin. Let's drink of the juice together. The church grew in step together when one, it was devoted in awe to the wonder of God. When it held common spiritual ground and had daily communion.
So how do we live this? How do we live these theological truths? Number one, we are to be people of outward generosity. What do I possess that I can give? What time do I possess? What finance do I possess? What spiritual practice do I possess that I can give to someone else? Where can I be praying for someone? How can I bless someone? How can I, where can I be for someone? What time can I create for someone? An outward generosity, because when the people of Acts lived in generosity, no one lacked. Number two, we are to have an open sensitivity. Who am I and how am I affecting through what, I'm, what I am saying and doing? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a lie. If we are not spiritually discerning to those in the room, we will be spiritually insensitive to the moment of communion the Father is bringing them into. May we never miss a moment for people to enter into the presence of God, and we, may we always be aware, discerning of when that moment is and how we can be an extension of his hand. Thirdly, we need to be creators of space. What space have I created to allow others to enter into? What space have I created to meet with someone? What space have I created to allow them into my life in this area of my life? So that they feel like there is, that they have community with someone. That they have communion with someone. And last but not least, we need to be an investor of the word. An intaker of truth we want to be formed in, to be deeply rooted in, and to be sent out in. That we would be able to stand upon the rock, walk, uh, the rock. That we'd be able to walk out in the waters and have communion with the Father. So what one challenges you today? The gathering of the bride should be one in step together. One in step with the Father and his chosen people. To reach within so that, we, that when we, we are in step with Christ throughout. Maybe today, you're saying, I need communion. We just did the symbolic moment of communion. We did the remembrance of communion. But may we practice, as we close service today, may we practice communion in what it was the gathering and the partnership of coming together. And so today, 
Maybe you're saying, I need to be devoted more in the awe and the wonder of God. Maybe you need to find your spiritual ground. Maybe you just need today to start a moment of daily communion. To be one of outward generosity, open sensitivity, a creator of space, or an investor of the word. I had a plan for how I wanted to close this, and I think it changed. And I know um, when I first got this message a few weeks ago, I was like, God, why this? It didn't make sense. And then things have happened in our world, and as time got closer and closer, I was like, I think I understand. But to close today, I'm asking this. Pascal is going to lead us in a moment of worship. But if we would come together as a family, as one in Christ, I know there's, I know with COVID and that, there's different things. Everyone, just the comfort level is all different, and that's totally fine. But if we would get, come forth and gather together, if you want to be a little more distant, that's fine. But all I ask is you come a little closer than you are. That we be gathered together in a moment of worship and communion with the Father and each other. That we would pray and seek the Lord. That no one would lack. Pascal will lead us in a moment of worship and then I'll come and I'll pray over us as a body. And then after that, if you're, if you're in need of a moment of extended ministry, the elders, myself, we would love to pray for you. And we'd love to pray that what you are seeking, you would find. And that his promise would be instilled in you. That you can live in step together with the community. You can do life together. Because as we are together, we are one in Christ. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.